coming. If you will, give her a round of applause. Make her feel welcome, church. Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. And if I reverberate or whatever, just tell me what to do, guys. Um, I've been to Greenwood Hills a couple times before um, to say goodbye to some special people here. I have not been to the service before, but I know a lot about Greenwood Hills. I know about your loving heart. I know about your generous giving. I know that there are good people here in this church, so I'm honored to be here. And I want to thank Pastor Andrew for allowing me to come, and not only that, but to uh, surrender his pulpit to me this morning. Uh, as you can imagine, that's not always an easy thing for a pastor to do, so it shows a great deal of maturity and humility, which I appreciate. I also want to thank uh, Brenda Moon, who's been uh, a most important liaison here at the church on our behalf at New Life, but she's also a dear sweet sister and friend, and a volunteer at the center. So that being said, I'm going to give you an overview of the center, tell you a little bit about us, and then the Lord has laid some things uh, on me uh, to share with you. But before I do anything, I would like you to join me in prayer, please. Father God, Jehovah, the one true God, Christ, our Savior and our Lord, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today. We feel you in our presence, but I pray that as I stand up here at this pulpit, it is you speaking through me. So I surrender every bit of my flesh, Lord, every bit of my fear and insecurity. I give you all the praise and glory in advance. Help me to reflect uh, the center well. Help me to speak to a wounded heart today if that is needed, but help me most importantly, to represent my Jesus and my Lord. We ask this in his name. Amen. In 1973, the Supreme Court, friends of ours that they are, passed Roe v. Wade into law, which was a federal mandate that made it possible and legal for a woman to seek abortion. The experts will tell you, legal, non-Christian experts will tell you that it is a very bad law. It should have never been heard. It should have never been received. It should have never been voted on. But it was. And this many years later, there have been, that have been counted and documented over 62 million abortions in the United States of America. And that's just the United States of America worldwide. It's much more so. Through the years, they have added to um, Roe v. Wade, expanding uh, the right to abortion up to the ninth month. If you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. That's sort of what happened. How it got here, how we got here, well, we got here from the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Good and evil. For whatever God wants to do, Satan's going to oppose it with all his might, and he's always gone after the children. Look through the Old Testament. 
How many times did he sweep through to kill the children? How many times did they sacrifice the children? Abortion's just a modern version of that. But the church came up with an answer in the 1980s. A bunch of pastors gathered together, led by Jerry Falwell. And they said the church has to have an answer to this. So they came up with a concept of crisis pregnancy centers, an alternative for a girl to go to, to get counsel, hopefully change her mind and to walk alongside of her. Now it was a very new concept, wasn't widely known. In fact, I didn't even know they existed until I started working there. Um, they were very small, feeling their way through, but basically what it was is they'd offer free pregnancy testing to these girls that were in a situation they found themselves in, good godly counsel, and promised that if they chose to keep their baby and parent it, they would walk alongside them and help them in any way they could, gave them baby layouts and that sort of thing. Our ministry was started in 1987 when 12 local churches got together to provide the funding, the prayer coverage, uh, make up the board of directors. Two people from each of those churches instituted the first official board, which was a huge board of 24 people. But in order to get it started, that's what they wanted to do. And then over the years, uh, some of those churches fell away and other churches came on board and the ministry has evolved. So basically, we started out with the free pregnancy testing and counseling. We still do that today. We have what's called client advocates because there again, the enemy has made it to where we can't call them counselors because they're not licensed. Well, it's up for Brendan, Susan are licensed, but they can't practice there, so we had to change the name. We're always having to adjust so as not to give them any excuse to close us down. We give them pregnancy testing. We can now offer them free ultrasound, limited every two weeks. We have a mobile unit that comes to our center. That's all free of charge. If they are going to need help getting through the pregnancy in the first two years of a child's life, then they can join our JOY program. Brenda is one of my client advocates who is assigned to the girl that follows her the whole way through the program till the child is two. We know that long-term associations and relationship with the Christian mentor will give them the best chance to evangelize or disciple this girl and also will help in the first two years of a child's development, which are the most important. So they meet with their counselor, advocate, I've been there too long, client advocate, um, for a Bible study or biblical counseling, and then they can go in our support room. So when you donate diapers or clothing, strollers, whatever, it is put in a little boutique where they can go and shop for a limited amount of items each visit. This is the incentive that keeps them going, therefore opening them up to biblical counseling and discipleship. Works very well. We also have a support group for those who are post-abortive. While we come against the sin of abortion and we speak very strongly about God's position on it, we never, ever, ever condemn a woman who has made that choice because God loves her and God can forgive anything. And so we want to offer her healing and restoration. So our grace program applies that in this case. What you need to know also is that all of our support programs 
that focus on a topic are led by someone who has had that experience and been healed from it and therefore wants to bring others to healing. So a post-abortive woman coming to us is going to be matched up with another post-abortive woman because she's the only one who can really relate to her in a significant way. We have a HOPE program. That is for those who lose pregnancies to miscarriage or stillbirth. That is led by somebody who has experienced that and who is um, educated in the grief process. That would be me. Um, we also have a support group for survivors of abuse. Now, this abuse can be physical, sexual, emotional, religious. That is also led by my coworker, Sherry Kanoy, who has that history and has gone to extensive leadership training and recovery for um, adult survivors of abuse. These support programs are not just open to the clients that you think of that come to us for pregnancy tests. These support programs are open to our churches. The statistics tell us that one in four people in church have had an abortion or been hurt by abortion. That could be a grandparent, the father of the baby, somebody close to it. And one in four people sitting in church have abuse in their background. Most of that would be emotional, but some can be physical, and some can be sexual, and some can be religious. You just don't know. So we offer this opportunity to the churches, and when I have a chance to speak to a church or a pastor, I want to tell them, Andrew's got a lot on his plate. He's got a lot of responsibility at this church. If somebody should come to him out of this church with any one of those issues, he can give me a call. He can call me in to partner with your church to help this person, and therefore taking that off of him. So we want to be seen as an extension of the church. Our values are the same. Our rule book is the same. Our guideline is the same. We um, are evangelical in everything that we do. So we want to be an extension of the local church, not a competitor of a local church. We are supported totally, 100% by donations. We take no state, city, or federal funding. Can you imagine why we don't? Because if we did, we would have to jump through any hoop they wanted us to in order to keep receiving that. It would also open us up to more scrutiny, so we do not. We trust the Lord and the Lord alone, and he has been more than adequate in blessing our center and enabling us to get to the point where we are today. So I came to the center in 1997, October 31st, 1997. So this is my 24th year. For seven years, I was the client services director. I loved that. I had never heard of pregnancy care centers before, but I've always had a heart for women and children. And so God plopped me right in place, and I loved it. I was over the volunteers and over the clients, and that was my niche, and I loved it. However, things changed in late 2014, and the executive director at the time, Libby Dunsmore, decided she had been there long enough and that God was leading her in a different direction. So that slot became open. And the board came to me and they said, we're not getting any name but yours from prayer. I said, well, you gotta keep trying because I do not want that job. I'm not qualified for the job. I like my job. Leave me alone, this is my niche. <laughs> 
And the Lord had other plans. Uh, We went back and forth for about a month. I prayed, they prayed, God would not let it go. So in January 2015, I took over as executive director, but I got to keep my other job because there wasn't anybody to replace me. So um, I have slowly delegated some of that to my coworker, Melissa, because she loves that too. So I don't exclusively do client services anymore, but it's still under my umbrella. And my plans to talk to you today is where as a message goes, um, the worship music, the songs said a lot of it. Andrew, when he came up to challenge the church, said the rest of it. Um, it's all connected, which is how the Lord does things. I want to tell you how God qualified me to be director of the Pregnancy Care Center, New Life Family Outreach. I had been raised in a Christian home, like many of you, to Southern parents who were also military. I had a very good, strict, firm upbringing. I actually went uh, to a Billy Graham crusade I'm going to date myself, in 1963 in San Diego, California, and that's where I walked the aisle with the other 3,000 people and gave my life to Jesus. So at nine years old, I started following Jesus, and it was sincere love for Jesus, and I was raised in the church, and I used to do Bible drills. I was really good at them. I had this thing memorized. I knew it all. And then I left home at 19 to go experience life and began to forget everything that I ever learned. Um, But I made it through, I stumbled through, I had a lot of bruises. You know, I felt like, I used to tell people, I feel like the ball in a pinball machine. I go here, and then I go here, and then I go here, and then I go here. Finally, I settled down and got married, and did the one thing I always wanted to do, get married and have children. But I was not happy. My marriage was not a good one. I married a non-believer. He was also military, so there was a lot of moving and there was a lot of him being gone for six months at a time and maybe alone with these three boys. I was very unhappy, but I soldiered through like a good military dependent does, and we were doing okay. I wasn't happy, but we were doing okay. Two days before my 20th wedding anniversary, my husband decided to leave. And I was alone with three boys, two of which were teenagers. And I had no skills and no education because I had spent my life raising the boys and supporting his career and that old story about a lot of people in my generation. And I was terrified. I was going to lose my house. I had a beautiful house in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I couldn't afford to stay there. Then I had a voice niggling in my brain. And it was the father. And he was reminding me that he had never left me, but I had wandered far away from him. Was I ready to get off the fence? I could no longer live with one foot in and one foot out. I had been a believer. I never doubted the existence of God, but you know what I had not done? I had not fully surrendered. Come on in, Joyce. Hi, Joyce. 
I invited Joyce today, so I want them to come in. Have a seat. I'm putting you on the spot because I got the microphone. This is Joyce and her husband joining us today. They are mighty prayer warriors that come and pray at the center once a week, and I am so happy they're here. I'll let you get settled, and I'll continue on. So at this day, I was at the end of myself, and I heard the Father speak to me and say, it's time to get off the fence. Many of us have a knowledge of God and a knowledge of what Jesus did, and we accept that. We accept the gift, and we want to go to heaven and not hell. But it's the lordship, full surrender issue that many of us miss. In the Western Church in the United States of America, we've been very comfortable. Christianity was accepted for many years. It was what you did. It made you a good person. But full surrender is what the Lord wants. I believe that we're in the state that we're in in the world today because the church has not done what the church was supposed to do. I know that's a hard word, but I looked at myself, so I know this is true. We were comfortable. It was easy to keep to ourselves, go about our business. It wasn't affecting us until all of a sudden it is affecting us. When you got saved and gave your heart to Jesus, why didn't he take you to heaven right then? Because he had a purpose for you here. The Holy Spirit that lives in us is the only thing that holds back the evil. But when we don't stand in that and allow him to hold back the evil, it keeps encroaching and encroaching until it's very difficult. So we're coming to the game late, like I did at age 42, when I was at the end of myself and on my face and finally fully surrendered to the Lord. And my life got really hard. (laughs) I'll just tell you, it got really hard. But you know what I found? All those Bible verses I had memorized, all those worship songs that I sing along with, it all became real to me at that time. When you fully surrender to the Lord, your eyes are open to the spiritual truths in his word. To spiritual truths, whether we sing them together, whether the pastor shares them with you, or whether you read the scriptures. It comes alive in a new way. Because your spirit is surrendered, the Holy Spirit has room to do what he's there to do, which is to counsel you, to lead you, to teach you. We as the church need to get back to that because without the Holy Spirit's help and guidance, without the strength of the Lord in us, without our willingness to surrender and let him do that through us, we're not going to win this war down here. Now, Jesus has won the victory ultimately on the cross. We know that. We know how the story ends. But we were left here for a reason, not to just turn everything over to the enemy, We should be ashamed of ourselves. The Lord gave us the responsibility. Are you sure? (laughs) This is why I prayed in the beginning, because this is not always easy to say. My spiritual gift is exhortation. It's the least popular spiritual gift to have. But I'm a straight shooter. 
And the reason I know these things that I tell you is because I've experienced them for myself. So back to my story. When I surrendered to the Lord at age 42 in 1997, after I was losing everything, he, through my mother, got me to North Carolina. I had to start life over again. I had three boys with no father, two of which were teenagers, and I had to become the breadwinner instead of the stay-at-home mom, which means my boys were just, you can imagine. I had never had the checkbook. I had never done any of those things. So I was literally starting from scratch in every way possible, you can imagine. And the Lord gave me a job at the center. He started working on me. I had to surrender to him and depend on him because I had no other choice. And when I had no other choice, I found that he was enough. And he miraculously provided for us. I still, to this day, don't know how I bought a house. I had no credit history. (coughs) I had a job that didn't pay that much. But the Lord had me buy a house, which we lived in for 24 years until I just sold it last year. But my life was not easy. But I found that the Lord knows I'm an experiential learner. How many of us are there out there? I have to learn by doing. I have to know how it applies to me. Otherwise, it's just words and it's just knowledge. I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a teacher. I don't know the Greek from the Hebrew. All I want to know is what this meant for me. This needed to be my roadmap. So the Lord first took me to his word, in-depth Bible study. I was in the word all the time. Then he put me in a nest of other believers, other women who spoke into me. Then he put me in a ministry where it was his purposes being done on earth. And one by one by one, all these truths, these layers of truth became evident to me. You know why I was selected to be the executive director of the pregnancy care centers? Because I had no qualifications, and I was 100% dependent on the Lord. Because the Lord had things he wanted to do which were outside of the box. He wanted to change things up. He wanted to be the focus of the center again. He wanted it to be more of an evangelical ministry than anything else. Now, we're still a pregnancy care center. We still function in that manner, but our focus is on sharing our faith and bringing healing and restoration to people, using God's word, sharing the gospel. And folks, I have to tell you, we have a mission field that comes in the doors. We have people from Pakistan. We have people from Myanmar. We have people from um, (coughs) Cambodia, Laos, Um, golly, I've had them when we had the people from Kosovo and stuff coming over. We have them come to us. We have Muslims that will sit and listen to the Bible because it's part requirement of the program. How many of us have an opportunity to witness to Muslims? So that's what God showed me. And because I wasn't in my own head and I had no idea what I was doing, I couldn't make these decisions. I had to ask him. So for any of you that think you're not qualified to do something, all it takes is to fully surrender to the Lord, and he'll put you somewhere, and he will do it through you. That's the plan. 
So many times we're too qualified or we have too many giftings and we're acting out of that instead of being spirit-led. We have to be spirit-led. This is what the Lord says. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. It's black and white. Abortion would never be God's choice. Think about where we are in the world today. The word of the Lord says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Does that sound familiar to you? Anybody else wake up in the mornings and think they're in the twilight zone? Remember that old TV show? I mean, it is so strange sometimes, but then you go to the Word and you read these things, and it's like, oh, I see that. But then we have hope. The word of the Lord says, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to all those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It's so dark out there, and it's easy to get discouraged. You don't even know who to believe. I don't care what kind of expert they say they are and how many of them tell you that they have just good intentions for your well-being. You cannot trust what you're hearing now. We need to use the filter of the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on the Lord to guide us. We need to stand firm if that's what's required, and we're not used to that. We haven't practiced that. The underground church could teach us a lot. If you read anything about the underground church, the persecuted church, you'll understand that this is a piece of cake. What we're dealing with is a piece of cake to them. They meet under threat of death but they do not cease in the gathering together. They're not supposed to own Bibles, but they will share pages and pass it around so everybody can have the word in them so they wouldn't have a whole Bible. My sister was a missionary in Jordan for three years. We were raised in a mission-minded family, and we always just loved the idea of missions because what it required was us putting money in an envelope and praying for them. But when you're called to mission, which I believe the church is called to mission right now in our country and in the world. When your boots hit the ground, it's not easy. We need to pray for each other, pray for our leaders. We need to actively speak out against what we know is wrong. We need to consider that when we're voting. And sometimes it's like you don't have a choice. You use the word and say, who best lines up with this? Stop turning a blind eye and saying, well, I don't like this guy because 
of his attitude or the way he looks or because he once did such and such. Look with what his agenda is and what it lines up with. You know, God's agenda and what God wants is most important. More important, because when he leaves it up to us, we end up like this. My challenge to the church is this. And like I said, I'm an experiential learner. I never say anything to you that he hasn't always already required out of me that I'm already doing. One of the reasons we opened the center up and created a prayer group called The Gathering, meets on Wednesdays, is that's what the Lord said. You know, you can read your word and you can do this, but if you don't saturate this ministry in prayer, if you don't pray for each other, if you don't pray for the clients, if you don't pray for the community and the things that are on God's heart, then you won't have the anointing to do what you have to do. So right smack in the middle of our week meets the gathering. Some of you have been prayed for by the gathering. Some of you have received a prayer quilt from the gathering. This is what we do as directed by the Lord. Now, this is not found in every other prayer pregnancy care center, which is why I told you God took us outside of the box. We also have a group that meets. Um, these two fine people are part of on Fridays. And I believe that that just adds to the anointing at the center. They cover the center. They ask us if there's any special situations to pray for. And they read God, God's word. They worship together. And they meet together. Y'all can't forsake the meeting together. I know many people haven't been able to come physically. But we can't continue to walk in fear. The enemy, like your worship leader shared with you, tells you lies. That's his job. He's been doing it since the Garden of Eden. He saw how well it worked there, and he keeps doing it. If you're a believer in Jesus, then he's going to attack your, what we call your wounds, your trigger points, your the, the marks he's left in you a long time ago that he can go back to and keep going like this. Because if he can't unsave you, he will try to keep you from your purpose. And the easiest way to keep you from your purpose is to lie to you and tell you you can't do it. Or that people aren't going to like you or that they're going to make fun of you. This is the last place I ever wanted to be was up in front of people. I was made fun of growing up. I kept the limelight off of me. And then God starts putting me in front of like 400 people at our banquet and out front and in front of microphones and online and streaming and out there. It's the last place that I, as a person, want to be. But I try to empty myself of myself and let him use me as a vessel, a broken vessel that he's put back together and used for his purposes. My life has not been easy. But all of these spiritual truths that I heard from good pastors like Andrew and I read for myself started being real to me. Like I said, my husband left right before our 20th wedding anniversary. I had all these struggles with the boys. And ironically, my ex-husband got saved when I led him to the Lord after our divorce. He asked me to do such fun things sometimes. In 2014, the year that I was called to be the director, one of the main reasons 
I was qualified at that time is that on March 1st, 2014, my oldest firstborn son, Christopher, took his life. His wife was five months pregnant with my first grandchild. I stepped in and became a filler of the gap for baby Cordelia and her mom during that time. And the strangest thing happened is that Carrie and I grew a bond that's closer than if I gave birth to her myself. My daughter-in-law is my daughter of my heart and my spirit. I led her to the Lord as well, and we've walked the spiritual journey together. And together, we poured that into Cordelia, who will be 17 in June. So I suffered through the suicide of my firstborn son, which set my second son into a spiral path of addiction to deal with the death of his brother. Got clean, went into the military, came back a disabled veteran who I had responsibility for for a long time. And on September 21st this past year, he was struck and killed by a car. I have one remaining son, Joe, and I would ask you to pray for him because he struggles in his faith. He was the one that went to church with me, to went to youth group, went to Christian concerts, but he's lost two brothers and he doesn't understand this God and he struggles and he's got a daughter of his own now. My free-spirited Everly Moon who will be five in July and needs Jesus, but is being raised by two parents that have a lot against the church and a lot against God. So I keep praying that their heart will be open to see who God is, because the words in the worship song are true. God is good, and he is kind, and he is faithful. And I can stand here before you having endured everything I've endured, and I can tell you that. Brenda can tell you that at Tom's funeral, I told them that. I just lost my son, but I'm telling them how good God is because that is the truth. It doesn't matter that these things are happening to us. That's not of God. But he does not leave us, nor does he forsake us. And this is the truth we try to offer these women that come to our center. You've made a mistake. We all make mistakes. You've been wandering, and you don't even know what love is because nobody's given you that. Nobody's given you real love. Nobody's told you that they love you just as you are. So we share what we know with these women, and it can change and transform them. That's your job, too, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, through worship, through pastoring, wherever God plants you, that's your responsibility. Change your life. Share the only hope. You know, I believe the harvest is ripe. People need something right now with all that's going on, which is why I think the Lord's allowed a lot of this to get to the point it is to wake us up, to give us a harvest that's ready. But what does the word say? The workers are few. But, you know, a few that are determined, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can change the world. Jesus had 12 disciples. That's where the church came from. But they had to go out, and we're coming up on Pentecost, which I love, Pentecost. 
And I'm praying that God just rains down again once more on his church at Pentecost to give us that fire that they had to go out and reach the world for Jesus. And every life is precious. Those babies that never got a chance, but also the ones that are here and maybe really messed up and living a life that many wouldn't approve of. But God loves each and every one whether they made it out of the womb or not. He had a plan and a purpose. And he has a home in heaven waiting for them to be in eternity in his presence where he's going to answer the zillions of questions I have. But I really don't think it'll even matter because when I'm in his presence, I don't think I'll care about anything else. God bless you. Thank you for supporting our ministry. I pray that God spoke to you today, and I pray that he blesses you each and tells you when the enemy lies to you, your value was determined on the cross. If God himself died for you, how valuable are you? Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Deborah. Church, if you will stand to your feet with me as we come to a close. Um, and before I pray, I do want to let you guys know in the front foyer, there is a table set up for the New Life Family Outreach. And I want you guys to look through all that stuff. I do know they have volunteer applications on there. And if you have any questions, I'm sure Deborah and Brenda would be more than willing to talk with you all. So um, you can stay afterwards and talk with them. Also, next week is when we are going to be closing our diaper drive. So please uh, bring that in throughout the week or next Sunday. And we're going to have a time where we pray over these. Uh, we know that these are diapers and they're going to be filled with really gross stuff. However, we are going to support the women. All right, guys, and these babies. Okay. So that's what we're doing right now is we're going to be supporting them. So let's make sure we do that. So let's go to prayer. Dear heavenly father, Lord, we come to you right now. And again, Lord, we thank you for this ministry and we thank you for the testimony that we heard today. And Lord, if you are tugging on someone's heart right now, we pray, Lord, that you keep tugging because, Lord, you have called us to step up. Lord, you have called your church to step up to defend the unborn and to defend these women and these children and these fathers. And so right now, Lord, if you are tugging on our hearts, keep tugging until we surrender it all to you, just like Deborah and so many others, Lord. Help us to have that courage to be able to step up and say, we're going to take the stand. And Lord, as we leave here today, Lord, I pray that you will just continue to bless everybody that's here and those listening in. Lord, do not let them leave here today with their needs or concerns. Instead, Lord, take it from them, transform it, and allow your will to be done in their lives. And it's in your glorious name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Hope you have a great week.